You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Good morning, I'm Joshua, and I'll be reading from Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every name should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." These are the true words of a living God. Thank you so much, Josh. Really cool uh, scripture reader you are indeed. And lovely to see Wei Cheng uh, in the worship team this morning. Good job. Well, we are uh, moving on to the book of Philippians. We have come through the last uh, six or so sermons on uh, looking at uh, ECP, uh, Grace Community's uh, Identity and Commitments. Uh, I did that deliberately just to uh, make sure you're all chuckled. Uh, No one can find me. Um, It's an in-house joke. Uh, But we are pivoting now to look at the letter of the Philippians. So we have, uh, just because of the calendar, had to work this way. We did our first Philippians sermon way back the last uh, Sunday of of 2023, that was Eugene. And some of the big highlights from that were, um, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. That was how Philippians chapter 1 begins. And uh, then it moves on to talk about the preaching of this gospel, how Paul is uh, in jail, he's imprisoned, and nonetheless, he is still defending and confirming the gospel, it says in Philippians chapter 1. And that's where Aidan picked it up. And we, two, two weeks ago, uh, heard this wonderful sermon on, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And how even though people were preaching the gospel out of false motive or pure, Paul didn't mind so long as the gospel was being preached. And for him to live was Christ. And everything he wanted to do was for the progress of the faith of these Philippians, even though Paul was in jail in Rome, facing capital punishment charges. And uh, that leads to the end of chapter 1, where Paul then writes and says, uh, I want you Philippians, in light of all that I've been saying so far, and I'm just giving you some background context, in light of everything that I've been saying, I want you to live a life worthy of this gospel and of this calling. And part of that worthiness, and this is, I'm guessing, around about verse 27, verse 28, is that you would be of one mind. You would be of one heart and one voice together as you uh, go forward in the faith. So that's the run-up. That's the background. And then we drop in to chapter 2 this morning. Okay, so the big idea 
for the passage before us today is this. Harmony in the church, and I'm going to use harmony and unity interchangeably. They're both uh, beautiful words in their own right. Harmony in the church is created by humility. This is what the passage that Josh read out for us uh, says. The big idea, harmony in the church is created by humility. Humility comes from having Christ's attitude. Harmony in the church is created by humility. And humility comes from having Christ's attitude. So the three big points I want to make today are about this idea of harmony or unity. And the first, idea, first point is this, is that unity comes from God, number one. Number two, unity is commanded. Unity comes from God, number one. Number two, unity is commanded. And then number three, unity comes from humility. So those are the three points which we'll cover today. Uh, I also want to say, before we get into the points, and I want to begin on a somewhat vulnerable note, that uh, this is basically a sermon that I'm preaching to myself this morning. You're all welcome to overhear and listen in. Uh, the beginning of this year, the start of this year, has been particularly difficult in many ways, and some of my key relationships have come under enormous pressure, and God's continual word to me every day has been humility, humility, humility. With humility comes unity. The best thing you can do for your relationships, your next best move always is to be humble. And so uh, this sermon, and I've thought about these words in uh, Philippians 2 throughout this year, uh, the call for humility, and the call for unity, and the call for the harmony that can only come from the message in the gospel of Jesus. So that's my vulnerable beginning this morning. Okay, point number one, unity comes from God. Unity comes from God. Now, when I was 10 years old, back in the day before girls were a thing, and sport and tennis were by far exceedingly superior thing of importance, I signed up for, wait for it, the Hilton Tennis Tournament. And I was practicing my forehand, I was practicing my backhand, I was in superb form coming into this tournament, age 10. And I was so excited, and the day of the tournament came, and then that night at dinner, the conversation went something like this. My dad said to me, hey, Andrew, how was the tournament today? You were so excited about it. And you could see I was looking completely dejected. So I said, uh, not that good. Why, why, you were so excited about it? Well, you see, the thing is, I got there, and I didn't know it was a doubles tournament. You have to play with a partner. So my dad goes, oh. And I said, and the thing is, I didn't have a partner. So they gave me a girl. And my dad said, but it was a mixed doubles tournament. All the boys got a girl. I said, I know, but my girl was really bad. <laughs> she had the hand-eye coordination of a mole that needed contact lenses. She'd only been on a tennis court twice, and the first time was by mistake. And then my mum jumped in and said, Andrew, I hope you were nice to her. And I said, Mum, I was so nice to her throughout the whole day. I just kept saying to her, you just hold your racket up, and sometime they'll hit the ball to it. <laughs> the point is this, is that sometimes in life, 
you get into a partnership. But the gospel, unity, is uni- the gospel is this, is union with Christ. And if you take that silly little story, childish as it is, of a, some 10-year-old little boy, and you times it by infinity into the game of life, the real game, where you are fighting an opposition of your own sin and death, none, no one else than Jesus Christ, God himself, comes down to be on your side, to unify with you. And his superiority, his righteousness, his power is so far transcendent to your own. Your contribution is sin and wickedness and evil, and yet he would choose the God of the universe to come down on your side and to unify with you and to form a partnership into eternity with you. This is what's known as union with Christ. And everything that's yours becomes his. Your sin becomes his, and he gets punished for it. And everything that's his, because it's a partnership, because it's a union for eternity, everything that's his becomes yours. His righteousness, his holiness, his power, his kingdom, it all gets given to you. How you are saved in the Christian faith is that you are unified. You are in union with God himself in the form of Jesus Christ. And is the wonderful truth of the Christian faith. And so we begin here in verse 1 with Paul saying that in so many words. You are unified with Christ, Philippians. And then he says in verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Other translations have, so if there's any encouragement from your union with Christ, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he begins by telling these Philippians who are in Christ what they have in Christ. And in Christ, you have encouragement. You are unified with Him. You are in Him. You are safe. You are secure. You are loved. You are affirmed. In Christ is encouragement. In Christ is comfort. For all of those who are hurting here today, for all of those who are going through difficult things, if you need comfort, you have it in Christ. And the comfort comes by way of love. Whose love? Probably the love of the Father. Definitely the love of Christ. But in Christ, because Christ is in the Father, you get the love of the Father. You get the Father's love for the Son, who is Jesus. And if you are in the Son, you get the Father's love. And that is a comfort. That is an encouragement. Not only that, but listen to this. You get participation in the Spirit. You can participate. You can have fellowship. You can participate with the Holy Spirit. This is what Christ has given you. By dying for your sins and rising from the grave, He gives you these three things. Encouragement, comfort, and participation with Him. Where does union begin in Christianity? Where does unity, this big call for unity, where does it begin? It begins in Christ Himself, who has chosen to be unified with you, who has chosen to be in union with you. But if you scratch a little deeper, you realize there's, it doesn't say Father directly, but the Father is definitely implied. The love of the Father, the participation with the Spirit, and the encouragement in Christ. 
God himself is a unity. God is three, but God is one. God is three persons, and yet he is in perfect harmony and perfect unity. And by being in Christ and participating with Christ, you get included into the Godhead. It doesn't make you God, of course. But it does mean you can be restored to having a relationship with him. Where does unity come from in the Bible? It begins in God himself. And it gets offered to you to become a Christian so that you can be unified with Christ. So that you can have unity with him. Why should Christians be unified? Well, it's one of the ultimate reflections of God himself and salvation itself. So unity or harmony. This word harmony, you're invited into divine harmony with God. That's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus has given us, is divine harmony with him. Well, unity or divine harmony with Christ is the highest form of pleasure and the greatest good a person can experience. Being united with Christ to receive the love of God is the highest form of pleasure and the greatest good that you can experience. Okay, that was point number one. Unity begins, comes from, and exists in God. Unity comes from God. Point number two, having developed that idea at the beginning in verse one, Paul will now, Paul is the writer of this letter, will now go on to say, off the back of this, I'm going to command or instruct you all in the church in Philippi to be unified. So point number two is unity is commanded. Now, as we delve into this point, I want you to think, just pause for a moment, of a particularly painful relationship in your world, which requires harmony with unity. Imagine Paul is writing this letter to you. This is not in the abstract to the Philippians 2,000 years ago. Imagine this is being written to you. What are your painful relationships? Where has harmony been shattered in your life? that you need to hear these words. Well, he has the call for unity, the instruction. It comes in verse 2. He goes on to say, having identified this uh, affection and sympathy as well in verse 1 that we find in Christ and unity with him, he goes on then to say, rolling out the implications in verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same mind as Jesus, having the same love, the same love as Jesus, being in full accord and of one mind. Complete my joy by being of the same mind as Christ, having the same love that Christ has given you in him. And he has the instruction, be in full accord and of one mind. Be of full accord and of one mind. Now that you are in Christ, you need to start thinking like Christ. That's the logic. Be of the same mind. Now that you are in the love of Christ, now that Christ has connected you to the love of the Father, now that you have this infinite reservoir of love streaming into your system, coursing through your veins in some spiritual IV that you hooked up to, now that you have God's love pulsating through you moment by moment by moment because of the love of Jesus, have the same love. Give it out to others. 
in this unified way. And then the instruction, I want you all in the church at Philippi to be of full accord, full accord, and of one mind. These are uh, very noble words. Very hard to do. We love the idea of receiving the love of Christ and the encouragement and the affection and the, and the sympathies of Jesus. But we are told to take all of that and then pass it on to other people. And if you think of the prickly relationships you have, those that need unity, those that uh, are under some kind of pressure or have harmony or unity threatened in some way, I want you to realize that the thing that undermines relationships is pride, in one word. And pride doesn't use that word specifically here. We'll get to that in verse 3. But pride is uh, where your interests are more important than someone else's, where you are more important than someone else. And the way to uh, cause disharmony or disunity in friendships, relationships in the body is very easy. You just throw some pride in. It doesn't matter whose heart it's in, but pride, the, the need to be more important or the need to have your own interests met in preference to someone else's, that is a guaranteed relationship and harmony destroyer. So that's where he gets. I want you to be of full accord. I want you to be of one mind. But watch out for pride, he says in verse 3. So let's read verse 3 and 4 together. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Sorry, pardon me. That's a different translation. Uh, the NIV has it as vain conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So put away unity busters, selfish ambition, vain conceit. Conceit is where it's an arrogance. It's a feeling of you are superior in some way. And it's a kind of a vain glory. That's where the vain conceit comes in where you make much of yourself, and by implication, you make little of someone else. That's selfish, be it ambition or conceit. Those are the unity busters. What are the unity builders? Well, says Paul, count others more significant than yourselves. Ouch. That's so hard. But let's not rush on from that. Let, just let that sink in. In humility, count others more significant yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so there, I just want to bring two contexts, just to keep it simple this morning, uh, two contexts where this can apply. One is just generally, and the other is a more specific kind of context. Generally speaking in the church, just generally speaking, in an everyday sense, getting to know each other, hanging out with each other, just in the generality of church life, can we ignore the unity busters and you the, do the unity givers? Can we uh, not operate out of pride? And can we count each other's interests more important than our own? And so to help us understand some of these ideas, I would like to quote because uh, all, all self-respecting preachers have to quote C.S. Lewis. 
So uh, let's dip into what is pride. What is selfish ambition or vain conceit? Well, C.S. Lewis said that if you want to test by which to know how proud you are, ask yourself. How much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or shove their awe in? That's uh, an English idiom for like annoy or irritate me or patronize me or show off. So just in the generality of life, if you are upset that other people are doing this, then you could be in danger of pride. To use uh, C.S. Lewis's wisdom again to help us understand what it is to count others more significant than ourselves, he writes this about what humility really looks like. Do not imagine, this is a famous quote, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays, i.e. someone who is always telling you that of course he is nobody. That's the false idea of what humility is. Oh, I'm nobody. Oh, don't say that. Really, really, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. He's saying, no, 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 that's not humility. This is humility, he goes on to say. Probably all you will think about him is that he seems a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Can we be a church where we think not less of ourselves, but we think of ourselves less? as this is, many people have translated that idea, but where we think of other people and we're interested in them and we ask them questions and want to hear their stories and prefer them. That's in the generality of life and of living. How can we apply this? Two contexts I'm giving you this morning. Number one is just in the generality of life, just getting to know each other and befriending each other in the church. Number two is in conflict. What happens when we start... We have a conflict with someone in the church. Well, it becomes essential that these verses kick in, not only in the generality, but in the specificity of when we are in conflict and we have a, a hurt or a grievance with someone else in the church. At that point, can we kick into not being selfish, not being conceited, but being genuinely humble? And even in that moment of conflict, thinking about the other well, Mother Teresa put it well. She said this. These are the few ways we can practice humility, to accept contradictions and correction cheerfully. This is particularly when we're in a conflict. To pass over the mistakes of others, to accept insults and injuries, to accept being slighted, forgotten, and disliked, to be kind and gentle, even under provocation. To sum this all up, and uh, I'm going to borrow another preacher's way of putting the C.S. Lewis quote, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less, and making others feel great about themselves. By the way, this is not to be a... Unity can be applied in a distorted sense where there are instances of abuse. I just want to throw that out there. This is not a call for unity at all costs in every circumstance, because sometimes it's, there are different paths you should take. I'm just talking about the general common rubbing of shoulders that we have in a church. Okay, point number one, unity comes from God. He is unified, and in Christ we get unity with Him. Point number two, unity is clearly commanded. 
in the scripture by being of one accord. Point number three is unity comes from humility. And how you do this humility that brings unity is you model yourself on Jesus Christ. You model yourself on the atonement. You model yourself on what he has done for us. If you find all of this really hard, then what you need to do is you need to look at Jesus. You need to see how he lived and how he acted on this earth. And so that's exactly where the writer takes us. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's already told us to have the same mind of Christ. He's told all of us to have one mind. And now he's saying that mind is the mind of Jesus. All of you should have the mind of Jesus to each other. That's how you're going to provide and create this divine sense of harmony and unity. This mind has already been given you. It's yours in Christ Jesus. If you are unified with Christ, if Christ is your divine tennis partner on your side, and you are allied with him in every way, and everything that's his is yours, you get his mind as well. When you come to Christ, he gives you everything, and he gives you his mind. He gives you his mind of humility. He gives you his mind of what attitude took him down to earth and then ultimately to the cross. It's already yours. This is not something you have to find. It's already been given you in Christ. And so what you need to do is you need to get to know him better and better and better. To understand the mind that he's already given you better and better and better. And now he wants to tell you what the mind of Christ really is. And in simple terms, Christ didn't act with selfish ambition or conceit, but he counted others more significant than him. He looked not only to his interest, but he looked to our interests. Isn't that amazing? And now Paul is, in one of the most beautiful pieces in the entire Bible, is going to explain the humility of Jesus. If you are new to Christianity or you're just exploring this, what you need to know is that Jesus Christ is God. He created the world. He's part of the Godhead. Can you imagine being God in heaven, having to come down to rescue sinners who have sinned against you? Can you imagine how low he had to go to come onto our terms, to be like us, to save us? That's the context. Well, it's seven steps of descent. Jesus Christ, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Other translations say he made himself nothing. He completely emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so I've got Derek Prince, the author and writer, to thank for this. The seven steps of descent. Number one, although he was God, he didn't exploit his status as God. He didn't think equality with God was something that he should cash in or hold on to. 
in his incarnation and in coming down to earth, that's his first step down. Not only that, but he then emptied himself. He, he emptied himself. He became nothing. Number three, he could have just become another creature. But number three, he took on a servant form. He became a servant. He could have just gone one step lower than God and then done something else. But no, number three, he came to serve. He came to serve us. Number four, he came in the likeness of man. He didn't come as an angel. He could have not looked like God and been something else. But no, number four, he came in the likeness of humans, like you and like me. He could have just been a man and kind of walked the earth, done his own thing. But no, number five, he became obedient. He subjected himself to obedience to his father. He could have been obedient as a servant, as a man walking down the earth, done his own thing, obediently, and then just sort of faded away. But no, he became obedient, number six, to death. Well, he could have died a death where he just passed off in his sleep, died in a road accident or something. But no, number seven, it just gets even worse. He underwent death, which is the most humiliating, the most painful. This is seven steps of complete condescension coming down in humility. Therefore, verse 9 says, because Jesus has done this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This pattern of humility led to the exaltation of Christ. He is given the highest exaltation and status in the universe because he humbled himself to come and to save us so that you and I could be unified with him and with the love of God. We have a beautiful Savior. He loves us this much. That he would humble himself and come down to us to save us, to unify us with him. And that, dear friends, is your standard. That's your standard to live up to. That's exactly what he's saying here. Have the same mind as Jesus. How are we going to have a harmonious, unified church? We are going to aim at the standard that Christ has given us. Because we already have his mind. It's called humility. A humility that comes only by grace. And now what I'd like to do is inflict on you a very long quote. You can close your eyes. Or you can read it on the screen, up to you. Or you can listen to my melodious voice. This is by Andrew Murray. And he just kind of 
nails this whole package in Philippians 2 pretty well, I think. This is what he says. We should have the correct understanding of who Christ is. His chief characteristic is his humility. What is the incarnation but his heavenly humility, his emptying himself? If humility is the root of the tree, the root of the tree being our faith, Christianity, which is Jesus. If humility is the root of the tree, its nature must be seen in every branch, leaf, and fruit. That's you and me. If humility is the secret of his atonement, then the health and the strength of our spiritual life will entirely depend upon our putting humility first, too. We must make humility the chief thing we admire in him, the chief thing we ask of him, the one thing for which we sacrifice all else. Is it any wonder that the Christian life is so often feeble and fruitless when the very root of the Christ life is neglected, is unknown? Is it any wonder that the joy of salvation is so little felt when that in which Christ found it and brings it is so little sought? We must seek a humility which will rest in nothing less than the end and death of self, which gives up all the honor of men as Jesus did to seek the honor that comes from God alone which absolutely makes and counts itself nothing, so that God may be all, that the Lord alone may be exalted. Until we seek humility in Christ above our chief joy and welcome it at any price, there is very little hope of a religion that is powerful. How much of the spirit of the meek and lowly Lamb of God do we see around us at Grace Community and those who are called by His name? Think about how all the lack of love the indifference to the needs, feelings, and weaknesses of others, the sharp and hasty judgments and utterances so often excused by our cries of being upright and honest, the manifestations of temper and irritation, the bitterness and estrangement have their root in pride. Pride seeks only itself. Devilish pride creeps in almost everywhere. What would happen if believers were to become permanently guided by the humility of Jesus. That's a lot for us to live up to. So to conclude, two quick ideas. True humility is fixated on God is great. It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's not necessarily thinking about others. It's first of all being fixated on God is great. Jesus is great, which causes us to forget ourselves and helps us to count others better. Knowing that we are in him who is exalted means we've got nothing to lose in thinking of others as better. What you have in the exalted Christ is so much. If you understand that, it's easy for you then to love other people. And then to end us this morning, sorry that I'm over the 30-minute uh, mark, is uh, two questions which I have for you by way of application. So question number one that I want to ask you for you to answer in your own time. Are you good at creating harmony? Are you good at creating harmony? Do you give encouragement, love, comfort, sympathy, and affection? Because those are all the things that Christ has given you in him. 
Are you good at creating that and giving that to others? Question, something for you to think about and work on. And then my second question, are you in conflict with someone as we speak? Sitting here today, is there a relationship that's thorny or difficult? Are you in conflict to some degree? Where you need to follow Jesus' example of the humble descent to consider their interests more than your own. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.